This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Wednesday, November 11th, 2020. I'm Caleb Brown. On some issues, it would be welcome news that the election delivered Joe Biden to the White House and not Donald Trump. But on the issue of trade, the prospects for freer global markets for goods and services is less clear. Cato's Dan Eikenson and Simon Lester discuss what a Biden presidency might mean for the freedom to trade. The current occupant of the White House, Donald Trump, has is is not making it very easy to do uh, a transition for the uh, like very likely incoming Biden administration. What does that mean for trade, if anything? Uh, I'm not sure that that has a, a distinct impact on trade. I mean, the main issue here is President Trump's trade policy, I think, has been characterized by protectionism, cronyism, mean-spiritedness. Joe Biden's policy will be more polite. So I think I think we, we can expect to see um, a, a sort of in the, a minimal departure in the short run. Um, there are tariffs in place. There are a lot of people suggesting that maybe uh, as a gesture of goodwill toward our allies, we can lift some of these steel and aluminum tariffs, maybe some of the China tariffs, and then down the road, maybe uh, rejoin the TPP, which is now the CPTPP, and show some support for the World Trade Organization um, by endorsing the, you know, the, the current otherwise consensus candidate to be director general and uh, relinquishing our chokehold over the appellate body appointment process. But, uh, you know, Biden's going to have a hard time with all of this because he campaigned as uh, the candidate who's tougher on China. He campaigned as uh, somebody in favor of Buy American provisions and repatriating supply chains, just just like Trump. And, um, you know, Trump has made it difficult for Biden in the sense that he commandeered Democratic trade policy, the kinds of policies that the Democratic Congress has wanted for for many decades. And it's going to be hard for Biden to eschew those kinds of policies, particularly since they just uh, won back all those blue states in the Rust Belt. And so, you know, I think Pennsylvania, Ohio, Michigan, and Wisconsin are very much on the mind of the Democratic Party, and, and they're not going to do anything rash in the short term. So, uh, Simon, the uh, as I've spoken with uh, Scott Lincecum uh, and, and you guys about this, Democrats, at least during the Trump years, have been remarkably pro-free trade. Uh, is that just a reaction to Trump being a protectionist and Trump did it so we don't like it? Or uh, is that something that that will endure in for any length of time? I think a lot of it is just a, a reaction to Trump. And it, it would be nice if this sort of settled in and became the Democratic Party platform. But I don't, I don't think that's going to happen. Um, at the same time, I think that that Trump has pushed so far that even um, you have some some surprising Democrats have pushed back. I saw a quote from Richard Trumka, head of AFL-CIO, uh, just uh, yesterday, saying, yeah, I think he's gone too far with some of these tariffs. And, it, you know, it, it's kind of a scattershot approach. And, you know, he, Trumka seemed to object to that. So if you have the, the head of, you know, labor unions who have traditionally been the, the strongest protectionists, if they're pushing back on some of these tariffs, I think there is some hope. But I, I don't think there's sort of a major shift in the parties and the Democrats are now the free trade party and the Democratic base is pro-trade. I, you know, that's obviously, I think, going a bit too far. Um, so, you know, I, I think we're going to have to have everything resort itself. You know, it seemed like Trump was pushing the Republicans to be the protectionist party and he seemed like he was making some progress. 
Um, you know, do we go back to where we were with the Republicans as free traders and the Democrats as protectionists, or is it some new balance? Uh, you know, it's going to take us a few months or years to, to sort that out. What, what's the lasting effect of, of Trump on trade policy and then U.S. politics in general? Well, to the extent that Donald Trump doesn't go away even after uh, he leaves office, it's it's possible he still could have an influence on trade policies of Republicans. I think that's absolutely right. I, I don't think he's going away in general, and I think he's going to keep pushing the Republican Party. He's got some, some allies in, in sort of the economic, economic nationalist wing of the Republican Party. So, yeah, I, I think you know, anytime Biden uh, proposes uh, reducing some tariff, you know, we'll obviously be supporting him on that. But Trump's could be pushing back hard. So I, I think it's going to make it difficult. Uh, to to get us moving in a, in a pro-trade direction. Even if that's where Biden wants to go at the margins, um, he'll have somebody fighting him on Twitter, on, you know, what a, some TV station, the TV network that, that Trump, you know, starts wherever, wherever he, he'll be, wherever he is, Trump will be pushing back on, on that sort of thing. Dan, in reviewing Trump era tariffs, what should Biden be focused on most? Well, not the tariffs, right? As you alluded to a moment ago, there's this sort of this pining for the halcyon days of pre-Trump uh, America first nationalism. And if you go back to those days before Trump, you had, um, you know, Republicans generally in favor of trade liberalization, Democrats generally opposed to trade liberalization. But if you go back 20 years, 25 years, there has been scant trade liberalization uh, in the United States. Yes, we've we've accomplished 17 bilateral trade uh, agreements or, or, or trade agreements with 17 other countries uh, since uh, 2000, um, but they were all achieved. They were all negotiated in a three-year period. We've totally stalled on trade liberalization, and I think the idea that trade policy is part of economic policy is now sort of out the window. It's much more an adjunct or subservient, sur subservient to foreign policy. And I think that's the way it's going to be going forward. So I think anything that Biden wants to do with trade policy is going to have to pass muster or be consistent with U.S. overarching policy toward China. That is that is the number one goal, the number one uh, you know the priority. And we can't be willy-nilly about our trade policies. They have to be consistent with our objectives, whatever they may be. What about the TPP? Look, I mean, I think that that would be a very good idea to 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 rejoin it, to to apply to rejoin it. How many countries are involved currently? Right now, there are there are eleven. We were the twelfth, and we we pulled out. Um, the problem for Biden, of course, is that Democrats were overwhelmingly opposed <laughs> to to TPP. So he is going to have to sell TPP as uh, as a geopolitical necessity. Uh, Obama tried to do that, maybe a little bit too late. But I think it is a geopolitical necessity, and you know it's, it, it does offer the, the the potential to attract other countries too. You know, it's a living agreement, and I think that I'm not su suggesting that this is going to be a panacea in any way. But I think it is an important tool in the toolbox to try to um, to channel. China's behavior. It seems to me that uh, you, I think you're being exceedingly generous to Barack Obama in saying that he tried to sell the TPP. It doesn't, didn't really strike me. I don't think it struck you that way at the time either. No, I mean, it, he waited a while. 
he was reluctant, I think, to confront uh, his elders in the in the Democratic Congress. You know, Harry Reid and Nancy Pelosi, who were both both chambers uh, were opposed to to trade liberalization. So he he actually went and negotiated the TPP before uh, requesting trade promotion authority from the Congress. And I, it just took him too long to start moving in that direction. And, uh, you know, he had to rely too much on Republican support. And I think to try to make it slightly appealing to Democrats, he, he gutted some of the pro-Republican uh, provisions in the deal. And, and that didn't win him any Democratic support. And it probably lost him Republican support. So I would say he was a lukewarm uh, uh, advocate of trade liberalization, but he did ultimately swim in the right direction. Uh, Simon? Bilateral trade agreements are useful, but they can limit the options that the United States has with respect to other trade agreements To if there are some limitations built into those bilateral trade agreements. And multilateral trade agreements take a long time to get done. Uh, what can the United States do, uh, if anything, as a unilateral matter to improve our trading relationships around the globe? I mean, that's sort of an easy question because there are so many things we could do. Um, I don't expect the Biden administration to do too many of them, but just to start us off. But if he woke up tomorrow, having been hit on the head right. and said, I'm a free trader now, everything everything but is I mean, right just, with the world. Right. Just to start us off, uh, you know, Trump I imposed these unilateral tariffs that, that aggravated our trading partners on, on steel and aluminum. Um, those he can just withdraw the stroke of a pen. I mean, that's just, you know, it, you know to, under the statute, Trump had the authority to impose them. Biden has the authority to to, to withdraw them. So, so that's an easy one. Um, as, you know, as you know, Dan was talking about, you know, with China, I think it's more difficult. There were tariffs imposed on China. He could withdraw, withdraw those. But that that's, you know, China is a, a separate challenge. You know, I don't think those tariffs are going away. But, but if you're just talking more generally about, you know, how, how Biden could, uh, you know, bring us to sort of peace with, with the rest of the world and promoting uh, free trade. I mean, he could not do all the Buy America things he's proposing. He, he could rein in some of the existing Buy America provisions. Um, there's just there's a wide range of, of ways that sort of there's built in protectionism in, in U.S. trade policy. And, and Biden could steer us away from that. Um, so, you know, if you had, uh, you know, take uh, the famous Cordell Hull, Secretary of State, who believed in uh, you know, trade would create peace and prosperity. If you had somebody like that, I mean, there's just there's so many choices to, to draw from. Um, but but the, the problem is we're in, we're in a practical reality uh, where we you know we don't have leadership in, in any part of the U.S. government that wants to go in that direction. So uh, you know, it, it's easy for a free trader to do those sorts of things. But but you know, we're, we're stuck in a political reality where nobody wants to do those things, and they're actually just moving in the other direction a lot of the time. Yeah, just to tack on to what Simon said, it seems obvious that, that Biden should just rescind the steel and aluminum tariffs because regardless of what our ultimate objectives are with respect to China, we are going to need to work with our allies in that regard. And this is an unnecessary irritant in our relationship. But the problem is that having those tariffs in place for the past few years has cultivated a, a, a domestic constituency that wants to prolong uh, those tariffs. And they tend to be uh, populating uh, recently won blue states and uh, in, in the Rust Belt. And so the politics gets gets to become a big part of this. My major observation, it, and it's not just as a result of the Biden election, but over the past few years, is that the economic rationale for trade policy is diminishing while 
domestic politics and geopolitics become the driving forces behind trade policy. To, to get those steel and aluminum tariffs off, I mean, I agree with Dan, it's, it's going to be hard. What I suggested is offer those folks something else. I mean, but go to them and say, look, this, this is this is causing us too many problems in our, our relations with allies. We have to we have to take these off. You know, what else can we give you instead? It's not how I want to see policy made. Um, but I mean, the, the reality is that is how it's made. So, you know, identify the groups who, who have you know, grown dependent on these, who want to keep them in place and, and see what else you can give them. Simon Lester is a policy analyst, and Dan Eikenson directs the Herbert A. Stiefel Center for Trade Policy Studies at the Cato Institute. Subscribe to the Cato Daily Podcast anywhere you please, and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.